Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live, the midweek show that we stream live on Mixler.com slash Sox Machine. And of course, all episodes of Sox Machine Live are uploaded into the podcast feed. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and the Chicago White Sox start the 2019 season with a loss. After an almost two-hour delay, the Chicago White Sox and Kansas City Royals did get opening day in, and maybe for the White Sox, they could have used the extra day off uh, as they lost 5-3. to three. The first eight innings were not pretty uh, as the White Sox were held scoreless, uh, a little Ricky, Ricky's boys don't quit. A little Kansas City has a really bad bullpen. The White Sox scored three runs. They had a chance at the end with Yomer Sanchez at the plate and the bases loaded, but he flew out to right field and the White Sox start 2019 off on the wrong foot. Helping me recap opening day is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. The 2019 opening day game was pretty much the opposite of last year's opening day. Yes, uh, but at least they made it watchable at the end. Interesting, kind of reminded everybody that Kansas City is in an equally bad place uh, or maybe even a bit worse when the season, you know, uh, I guess is ironed out after 162 games. But yeah, these are two rebuilding teams uh, are going to be playing each other 18 times this year. And yeah, it's going to be a lot like this, I think, going forward. <laughs> yeah. And to recap, as far as opening day, we'll discuss as far as the big storylines of the game. And of course, we are all excited to see Aloy Jimenez in his debut with the Chicago White Sox, and his first plate appearance struck out. Okay, not a big deal. 
Second plate appearance, nothing but sliders from Royal starter Brad Kelly, uh, Keller, I should say, uh, and he struck out for the second time. His third plate appearance, he made contact, but it was a weak grounder up the middle. And his fourth plate appearance was really interesting, Jim, with the bases loaded. So we get an opportunity here where Eli could really do some damage and he gets hit by a pitch in the dirt. Uh, So congratulations, he gets his... First RBI is the Roger Dorn type, uh, and he took first base. He would later score uh, in that inning. But out of the 17 pitches that Jimenez saw, Jim, 14, 14 of them were sliders. Mm-hmm. Are you surprised at the Royals' approach to the rookie? Maybe it's a little bit more extreme than I thought, but it seemed like with a rookie, especially a highly touted one, who's going to be trying to hit for power, is going to be trying to hit the ball out of the park, might be a little over-anxious in his Major League debut. I think they're going to go, you know, I thought there were going to be a lot of slow pitches and, uh, uh, you know, just try to get him out in his front foot, out ahead, uh, chasing stuff down the dirt. And it mostly worked. Uh, I would have liked to see that Diekman uh, battle. Uh, The last one kind of, uh, I guess, work out all the way to uh, a resolution that wasn't hit by pitch because Diekman was going with sliders at him and, uh, the sliders weren't great, but also Jimenez seemed a bit more restrained in that battle. So it seemed like maybe he could get a pitch to his liking or maybe uh, wait back, poke something in the right field uh, in order just to uh, you know barrel something up and, and, and stay back on a, an off-speed pitch. But hey, it's uh, you, you say Roger Dorm, I think Homer Simpson, but either way, yeah, it's a first oh, RBI. Yes. <laughs> and, then he, uh, and then he ends up scoring his first run too. So he, he's got an on-base percentage. He's got... Uh, and an RBI and a run in this column. So it's not, you know, before the ninth inning, it looked like it was going to be a, a debut to totally forgets. And now it's just more along the lines of a quiet day slash evening. Yes. Homer Simpson. How could I forget? It's one of the best episodes of that series, a very Homer Simpson day for Sox machine today. If you didn't get a chance to read, uh, P preview of the Kansas city Royals with max power. Mm-hmm. I, I highly recommend it. It was very entertaining. And with Eloy again, you know, he gets the RBI, as Jim mentioned, he gets the run scored. So there are some positives to take away. But if he's going to go into the batting cages tomorrow to warm up for the weekend, uh, maybe he should just see sliders uh, from the pitching coach if possible. Because uh, I think that's how the Royals are going to attack him all series long. Now, another debut, at least for the White Sox perspective, he did debut at third base for the Boston Red Sox when he was initially called up to the major leagues. But Yohan Mikata, so he starts at third base for the first time with the White Sox. And defensively, Jim, he looked really good. He took Mm -hmm. away two runs. Uh, The first run that he took away, uh, Whit Merrifield hit a line drive, and Mikata did a nice job of snaring that one. Uh, There is a new uh, stat cast metric that you could follow on live at Baseball Savant. They have gotten away from hit probability. Instead, they have expected batting average based on how hard the ball was hit and the launch angle. And that line drive that Mikata took away from Mayerfield usually has a batting average of 5'10". So more than half the time, uh, that ends up being a base hit. So there's a nice job by Mikata. And then he threw out uh, Mondesi at home, saving a second run. And he also made a great play charging up on a pretty much a Sweeney bunt in the fifth inning. And I didn't think he had much of a chance with the wet grass and everything, but he demonstrated that he definitely has a strong arm 
to play at third. And also at the plate, Mikado was aggressive early in the strike zone. He didn't let any count get to two strikes, so he didn't strike out. He was one for three with the walk. So how would you grade Mikado's first game at third base for the White Sox, Jim? It's got to be an A. Um, basically everything you want to see from him. Uh, under control defensively, under control at the plate. Yeah, like you said, not getting... Uh, backed up against the wall with two strikes, not uh, uh, you know attacking what was in the zone. Uh, he looked pretty good. He looked pretty comfortable. And, and uh, <laughs> it's funny, when they made that charging play, I always wonder kind of in the back of my mind whether those charging plays are they, – they look harder than they actually are because I remember Mark Tian making those plays mm-hmm. and thinking like – yeah, that's yeah. And then he would struggle on plays to his left. You know, the the one step stuff, uh, getting his glove down, and I guess making the the plays that you know more involved lateral movement. And I kind of wondered that you know if your just directions going forward, kind of like a uh, a downhill runner in football. Just you know, is that easier for uh, uh, a third baseman to control his body making that throw? And it just looks really impressive because of how fast it's going. But um, you know, given that it's a new motion for him, uh, especially I would say this year, you know, as you mentioned, he made his debut there at the Red Sox. But you know, for a first game, wet turf, opening day, uh, looked like he'd been there all of last year. Yeah, and especially when you look at how Mikado played today in the field. And he compared to everyone else in the infield today, mm-hmm. it really stands out. I mean, Tim Anderson made a great play, uh, a nice, really showing off at the, as far as his vertical to steal a base hit away. But then he sat back on a weak grounder and Chuck knob blocked it uh, from shortstop, <laughs> which, you know, impressive. He's got the arm strength, no doubt about it, but not a good throw whatsoever. We'll talk about Yomer Sanchez's costly error and when we speak about Carlos Rodon's first start of 2019. Uh, And I think Jose Abreu was also charged with an error as well. So the White Sox had three errors uh, in their opening game. It was uh, Dylan Covey. He bounced Oh, Dylan Covey. That's right. Yeah. Abreu couldn't handle it. So I thought they charged it to him, but instead Dylan Covey. But yeah, the White Sox defensively had three errors. Messy. So when you watch Mankata, and if you want, yes, it's just a one-game sample, but he looked really good compared to everybody else. So... Mm -hmm. Uh, that's a good sign, and hopefully that continues for the rest of the weekend. Then there's Carlos Rodon making his first start, and I thought he started strong, Jim. Yes, in the fourth inning, uh, Edelberto Mondesi, Raul Mondesi's son, uh, led off the fourth inning with a triple, uh, initially called out, and I thought Mikata did get him when, on the pop-up slide, it appeared that Mondesi disconnected from third base, and Mikata got the tag in, but after replay, it showed that no, Mondesi did get back to third in time. Uh, and he would score, but halfway through the game. So after the fifth inning, it's one to nothing. But then came the sixth inning, and it was not kind to Rodon. And defensively, again, he didn't get help. And this is the, the mind-blowing one, is that it's a play, it's an error by Yomer Sanchez. And it's a mm-hmm. play that we've seen him make so frequently, especially from the 2017 season on a ground ball that should have been a double play. And maybe that's the difference in tonight's game uh, mm-hmm. when you look back at the game. And when Rodon's final line, you know, is five and one-third innings pitched, three hits allowed, three runs, two of them earned. He only had one walk, and he struck out six. So what are your thoughts about Carlos Rodon's first start of 2019? It was okay. Uh, as you mentioned, very strong early. Uh, yeah, the, the misfortune was that the one hit he gave up was leadoff triple, so easy to score that. But the fastball command was good, uh, really dotting both sides of the plate. Um, 
the slider was not quite wipeout. I guess he didn't really use it as a wipeout. It's more fastball based and to ride his fastball the first time through is what you want to see from a starter. So, you know, that was, that was fine. Towards the end of a start, you could kind of see the uh, command going from him. Well, like it wasn't finishing his pitches. The fastball was drifting higher and higher, uh, missing the top of the zone. Um, seemed like he just wasn't, uh, uh, and this is very armchair pitching coach, but just not like bending enough. And everything was like just releasing high. And uh, that, that's part of it. Another part of it was, you know, having Whit Merrifield run on him, uh, stealing two bases. Rodon is, you know, for a lefty, he's not good at holding runners. Uh, I think he's now given up 30 stolen bases over his last 33 uh, Ooh, starts. And that's not good. And James McCann was back there, too, to try to you know give him a strong throwing arm. But uh, the Merrifield steal of second and third, McCann didn't have much of a chance. So, you know, that's that was a problem. And that's, you know, that is Rodon's fault, just having the, the really slow leg kick. Um, but yeah, the error by Sanchez was uncharacteristic and costly. And it was very unusual too, because it looked like he read the ball the wrong way. Like he was leaning on his right leg as the ball was hit to his left. Uh, and then he just couldn't recover in time. Benetti called him uh, flat footed and it kind of looked that way. And then when you see in the replay from behind the plate, you can just see that for whatever reason, he thought the contact was taking him more towards the bag or something. But uh, yeah, just that was uncharacteristic. And um, yeah, if he's going to be playing second, uh, you expect him to have a plus glove there and the bat's going to be a little bit disappointing and, uh, can't be too many more errors like that, but hopefully just the first game, wet turf, long day, you know, maybe it all contributed and, uh, there'll be better days ahead. Are you concerned about the lack of velocity from Carlos Rodon? According to baseball savant from its game feed, again, this is stat cast data, uh, Rodon only threw four fastballs that, registered 94 miles per hour on the gun. The vast majority of his fastball sat around 91 to 92 miles per hour. Yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, that was the big concern last year with the shoulder surgery is not having the power on his pitches so that he, you know, that made him a, a number three overall pick and probably should have been the first overall pick when he was drafted. Uh, yeah, it's, it costs him. Um, and that's why I liked seeing the commander early and how he worked both sides of the plate thought that was important for somebody like him who is still getting accustomed to not throwing 96 to 99 with a 91 mile per hour slider. Hopefully he gets that back as the season goes on, the weather gets warmer, but I'm kind of counting on him, you know, having a harder time topping 95, working in the lower registers in the 90s and maybe even like we saw 89s last year early. Uh, it seems like that's just going to be his MO, but fatigue did, fatigue did seem to set in. Uh, later in the start. So hopefully as he gets a few of these uh, 90 pitch outings under him, uh, maybe we'll see him get a bit stronger and the fastball velocity tick up to 95, 96. Yeah. Rodon threw 101 pitches today, which is a bit surprising. You don't see uh, on opening day. You typically don't see starting pitchers get to a hundred pitches. Yeah. And uh, they had uh, Rick Renteria yeah. had Banuelos, you know, warming up, I think in the fifth. Mm-hmm. And so it seemed like he was going to cut it off at 80 pitches, five innings or so, but he let him work pretty deep in the sixth. So James McCann worked with Carlos Rodon, and this I'm wondering as we progress through the season, this is going to be the pairing where James McCann serves as Carlos Rodon's personal catcher. Yeah, it seems uh, like it. Do you think this is a good idea? Oh, I mean, not. I, I guess I, I'll have to see, but... I thought a little bit too much was made of the Rodan Omar Narvaez connection last year, but for whatever reason, that's the one that stuck. And Wellington Castillo didn't really catch him, so 
Uh, I guess the one thing with this relationship is that McCann being a, an AL Central catcher, knowing the scouting report on Rodon from the opposition, that maybe he has a little bit more knowledge on what hitters are looking for. Um, you know, that's one potential uh, selling point that he has over Castillo. But otherwise, you know, I, I would hope that um, especially if McCann fares as poorly as we fear he might uh, as the backup catcher. I would hope that uh, they would give Castillo some starts just to see if, you know, another year fresh start them working together is uh, is more beneficial to both sides. But, yeah, right now I'm figuring that McCann's catching the bulk of his starts for whatever reason. Yeah, Rodon threw 61 fastballs, 33 sliders, seven change-ups today. Uh, not sure if we want to see more change-ups out of Carlos Rodon or how that pitch mix works for him moving forward with James McCann, but I think it's something to pay attention to early on in 2019, Jim, is you know the types of pitches that McCann is calling because if he does know the division so well and with the White Sox playing a lot of divisional opponents to start the year, be interesting to see on what types of what the pitch mix is that McCann is calling. Yeah, uh, the changeups didn't look that great today, especially I think they were kind of drifting up with the fastball as it went on. The release point was off on both of them, so that might have been part of it. Um, also, having the success early with the fastball and, and riding that a lot and then you know maybe not having a release point for it. Uh, but I would hope that you know if he's going to resemble the pitcher he was, the changeup isn't going to be that prominent. It's mainly going to be fastball slider and having the different tilts on the slider to give him basically three pitches by itself. What else caught your attention in the first game of 2019? Well, the the relief pitchers didn't look that sharp. Ryan Burr didn't walk anybody in spring, and then he walked with Merrifield. Uh, he had a bit more bite on his breaking ball, you know, a bit more of a, uh, I guess, uh, it looked less like a slider and more like a hard curve, and he threw some nice ones, but he also threw a hanger, and, and Covey threw a hanging slider, and Nate Jones is only 95, 96, and a little bit erratic, but he got a strikeout and, and, and did his job, but... Bullpen looked a little bit wobbly, especially that part of it. So I guess we'll see, uh, hopefully over the course of the weekend, uh, Alex Colome come in and Kelvin Herrera and Jace Fry. And hopefully those guys will look like high leverage sorts so that the Covey, uh, Burr, Jones, Banuelos, you know, that, that segment of the bullpen can get their feet, especially like a guy like Burr who's got a cup of coffee last year but is still trying to figure out the majors, you know, give him medium leverage, low leverage outings just to – get some good outings under him, get a little bit of a roll before he tackles uh, tougher tasks. Daniel Polka made a great catch today at yeah. the wall. It was an Avi-like day, <laughs> right? He made a great <laughs> leaping catch at the wall and uh, also didn't cut off a ball in the gap that that was a, and then he struggled to pick it up in the track and that turned into a triple. So so I think we saw you know some positive development, like getting back to the wall. I think he plays deeper than usual already, so I think that might be, uh, I guess one of the things he will be able to do is make plays along the warning track. But, uh, yeah, the, the lateral movement on that ball in the gap uh, didn't quite uh, – uh, yeah, the feet weren't exactly flying there. And uh, that's going to, I think, be a feature until John Jay gets back. Yeah, and Paul could walked in the ninth inning. So I believe he also gets an RBI if I check the box. Well, he, he hit the uh, squibber to third that drove in a run. Oh, so that's, that's right. choice. But he did draw a walk to uh, – uh, to, for the first base runner of the season. And he drew 10 walks in September. That's one of the things that I think made White Sox fans excited for him and not just the fact that he, you know, hits the bejesus out of balls and hits homers a long way and is, is uh, you know, fan-friendly. But also there was a bit more plate discipline at the end of the year. You know, part of that's against uh, weak opponents and rebuilding teams and uh, big bullpens with underproven relievers. But also, you know, it's 
partially him learning the league. And so uh, that was one of the things I was kind of keeping an eye on if he got enough playing time to to make a difference to see if any of that plate discipline carried over and, you know, walk in his first game against a, a starter who didn't walk anybody else. That's not bad. The White Sox also need to figure out Brad Keller. This is his, what, fourth start against the White Sox, and he's just looked really dominant. The White Sox have not hit him hard at all. Seven scoreless innings today, only two hits allowed, and the one walk and five strikeouts. The next time the White Sox face him, hopefully they have a better game plan because after three starts in 2018, Jim, and they talked about this in the broadcast, and you add in today – Keller's just been dominant against the White Sox to start his career. So hopefully the White Sox have a better game plan the next time they face him. Uh, Next on the show, we're going to be previewing the rest of the games this weekend against the Kansas City Royals. But before we do, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. Finding tickets can be a far too complicated experience. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust. And that's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you are willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. By searching multiple ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value, SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget, plus every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. And I use SeatGeek all of the time. I just picked up opening day tickets for the Chicago White Sox next Thursday through SeatGeek as I order those on my phone. And if you do not have tickets for the White Sox home opening weekend, SeatGeek has some great deals right now. You can still get opening day tickets for 30 bucks. The Saturday game in which the White Sox are giving away the hooded sweatshirt, they got tickets as cheap as $19 and the first Sunday game at just $11. And best of all, Sox Machine listeners get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. All you got to do is just download the Seeky Gap and enter promo code Socks Machine. That's promo code Socks Machine for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. And now for the other two games this weekend. Weather wise, on Saturday, I hope the White Sox players bundle up because it is going to be cold. A cold front is coming through Kansas City. I believe the high on Saturday, Jim, is 44 degrees. Uh, so hopefully Ronaldo Lopez can stay loose as Saturday. He'll be making his first start of the 2019 season, and he'll be going up against Royal starter Jacob Junis. This is a 1:15 start on Saturday and on Sunday, also 1:15 p.m. Be the first time we get to see Lucas Giolito in 2019 as he'll be going up against Jorge Lopez for the Kansas City Royals. And Jim, you know, we spent a lot of time and attend, and we paid a lot of attention to Ronaldo Lopez and Lucas Giolito last year in their first full season. So let's start with Lopez. What are we hoping to see from Ronaldo Lopez in his first start on Saturday? Basically what he did last year, especially last September, throwing the fastball, you know, basically using that to set up his entire game, 96 to 99 miles per hour, uh, moving around the zone, riding that when he gets in jams. That seems to be his M.O. and against uh, – a weak lineup and cold weather, I would expect him to not get too cute. But uh, the slider also seemed to be more of a weapon in September. So hopefully between those two pitches, that should be enough for him to get six innings. So six innings. So if he gets through six innings, you would deem that a successful first start? 
Yep, and and I think uh, yeah, Rodon's a hundred pitch inning or hundred pitch outing for first time out. I think will be a little bit of an aberration over the course of the first turn through the rotation, maybe even the second. Hopefully, Lopez gets a little bit better support defensively and offensively than Carlos Rodon did mm-hmm. in his start Sunday. Lucas Giolito against a pitcher that I don't have much of a memory ever watching before. Uh, so before we get into Jorge Lopez, Giolito, obviously uh, at times erratic last year, having issues with the command of his pitches, walking a lot of hitters. What are some goals that you think Lucas Giolito uh, can achieve to make sure that his first start uh, is going off on the right foot? Well, I think there are a few things. One, I guess the right foot, you know, the first innings, he really got off to some terrible starts and racked up some pitch counts and some walks and, and needed multiple mound visits in the first inning. And eventually he would iron things out and last four or five, six innings. And they weren't good starts, but they felt like moral victories. But then, you know, after so many of those moral victories, uh, you realize that this is really a problem. And so I hope that, uh, you know, Giolito this year comes out a bit you know, stronger out of the gate uh, with a bit more command, doesn't need two or three innings to really find his release point. And, uh, and, and, you know, it can start now. And I think uh, uh, there were some P.O. Sox questions we talked about a little bit in the offseason and, and posts about Giolito not, you know, maybe cold weather being an issue. So that's another thing I'll be looking for, how crisp his stuff is, what he's throwing, uh, I guess, uh, whether he goes to his hand or, you know, whether he goes to his mouth with his hand and, and tries to get feeling. Just be watching those little things. But uh, uh, right now I think it's all about throwing strikes, especially early. Um, and hopefully he'll – take advantage of the big outfield and you know the ball not carrying and 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 uh you know flyouts are his friend i think right now yeah and for giolito he's actually pitched well against the royals in his young career he has a career 2.35 era against kansas city and a 3.24 era at kaufman stadium so he likes pitching at kaufman stadium and he does well against the kansas city royals hopefully that trend continues. Jorge Lopez, I really don't know much about him. Uh, is this a one of those tricky situations, Jim, for the White Sox hitters facing somebody they don't have much experience with? Uh, you know, it's I imagine a little bit. Um, you know, he didn't see a weird year last year. I remember him gaining some headlines because he uh, he threw a couple of really good outings at the start of September, and then. Uh, then I saw his ERA at the end. I was like, yeah, what happened? And turns out that he gave up uh, seven year, uh, seven runs in an inning of work against Detroit, gave three homers and, and was shelled and didn't get out of the second inning. And uh, yeah, that, that basically spoiled his entire body of work with the Royals. But um, yeah, it, I think it's going to look a lot, you know, I guess like Brad Keller last year, you know, just a guy they haven't seen before. And hopefully it doesn't you know, look like that. But uh, I think last year, the White Sox had some good outings against Lopez types and, and, uh, so I'm really not thinking anything of it and just more or less going into it with a yeah, non-defeatist attitude. And after that series, again, the White Sox will be then heading to Cleveland, which we will preview that series on Monday's Sox Machine podcast uh, after the weekend. So that's the weekend series between the White Sox and the Royals. And before we wrap up this edition of the Sox Machine Live show uh, elsewhere on opening day, Jim, the Los Angeles Dodgers set a new opening day record as a team. They hit eight home runs against the Arizona Diamondbacks. They were not kind 
to Zach Granke today. Uh, I think the White Sox had the previous record last year, right, with six home runs? I thought so. Maybe they tied it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, Granke was a popular, uh, uh, maybe not popular trade target in the offseason plans, but a lot of people wondering what it would take, how much he had left, and not the best start, <laughs> especially no. given what he's paid, you know, four homers and in, in, uh, in three and two-thirds innings. Yeah, that was not good. The fastball is in the high 80s, low 90s, so... You know, the Dodgers can do that, and I think there will be better starts ahead, but not a uh, encouraging start based on, you know, what's going to be a decline phase over the next three years. Yeah, Zach Rinke's stuff has, it seems to get slower and slower. He's really mixing speeds. He doesn't throw as hard as he used to, uh, but he's throwing 67 mile per hour change-ups these days. Yeah. Uh, which is a which is a little bit off putting. Uh, there was two great pitching performances today out of the American League Central. Jose Barrios and the Minnesota Twins they blanked the Cleveland Indians two to nothing. Looking at Cleveland's starting lineup, and if it's the same as the White Sox uh, after the weekend, I think I like the White Sox chances a lot better because this starting lineup for the Cleveland Indians. Uh, might have been good in 2014, uh, but these—it's not loaded with players. I mean, you got, yeah, you got Carlos Santana batting cleanup. You got Hanley Ramirez. You got Bradley Miller. Uh, yeah. So, but Barrios today struck out ten and seven and two thirds innings scoreless today, only allowing two hits and one walk. And Corey Kluber was Corey Kluber in seven innings. He allowed only four hits, two earned runs, and struck out five. But maybe the best pitching performance of the day goes to Jordan Zimmerman. Zimmerman had six perfect innings, Jim, <laughs> to start the game against the Toronto Blue Jays as the Tigers eventually won two to nothing in the tenth inning. Uh what would you have thought if Jordan Zimmerman was able to carry it out and actually throw a perfect game on opening day? I would have wondered what's up with Toronto. And then you look at that lineup and yeah, it needs Vlad jr. Yeah. Uh, Justin smoke batting cleanup to Oscar Hernandez, third Lourdes Gurriel jr. Fifth Kevin Pilar's like, there's no real heart of the order there. So that's no, a problem. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that was pretty bad. I was looking at the uh, Cleveland box score, and it is good to see Leonis Martin back because he almost died last year with the uh, with the infection he had. And then Jose Ramirez is back too. So they got two key players back in the lineup that uh, they thought they might be missing for a while. But yeah, if 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 Ramirez isn't quite a hundred percent after bruising his knee and you know Lindor is out, that is a very sketchy lineup. Great starting pitching, but yeah, very very sketchy. Sketchy lineup. If you run into a couple home runs against any of the starters, the Indians could be in trouble early. That's yeah. that's just really odd that was, they just don't have any offense right now. Yeah, and speaking of home runs against starters, Chris Sale got shelled against the Mariners. <laughs> yeah, he and Blake Snell. Snell allowed three home runs today. Yeah, I think uh, Sale did too. I'm looking at his line. Yeah, three homers over three innings, seven runs, a couple walks. I don't think his fastball got hit 95. So, you know, speaking about mm. you know, lefties, uh, having a hard time getting their fastballs uh, where they're supposed to be. Yeah, it's another one. And to cap it off as far as opening day, maybe the play of the day. I don't know if you saw this highlight. Lorenzo Cain mm-hmm. robbing the potentially game-tying home run in the bottom of the ninth. What what would you call that? A walk-off rob? I guess, yeah, or a jogging. 
a jacket. <laughs> it was a tremendous play. Yeah. If you didn't get a chance to see it, go to MLB.com, or I'm sure it'll be on ESPN, but just a terrific play by Lorenzo Kane to to steal one away from the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun watching him in Milwaukee because I liked – I. I liked and hated him with the Royals. I really admired him as a player. I wish the White Sox had a player like him just uh, too good, and, and he beat the White Sox too often to actually like him. But now that he's with Milwaukee and the team that I'm, I'm partial to in the National League, um, I'm happy to see him doing well, especially for, you know, a, you know it's one of those contracts you want to see work out, a, a team going for it, a team paying a player who deserves to be paid, and that player stepping up. So everything's been great with Kane and Milwaukee so far, and I, I love seeing it happen. Yeah, Christian Yelich, the National League MVP, with a home run today as the Brewers start off well, as they are 1-0. and And again, the Chicago Cubs just destroyed the Texas Rangers as well, 12-4, to as Javi Baez hit two home runs, and Chris Bryant also had a home run. So there you go, folks. That's your opening day in Major League Baseball. The Chicago White Sox are off on Friday, and they'll be back in action on Saturday. If you have nowhere to be on Saturday and looking to hang out with some fellow White Sox fans. I will be chilling at Buffalo Wings and Reigns for the Saturday game. Uh, hanging out with some of the other White Sox Twitter folks. The Section 108 guys will be there. There will be a bunch of White Sox fans there. So if you guys want to come down to Buffalo Wings and Reigns and chill with other White Sox fans while watching the game on Saturday, be great to see some of you. Again, that game starts at 1.15 p.m. Central Time. But that will do it for the first Sox Machine Live of the 2019 season. Again, we'll have Sox Machine Live during the midweek, recapping uh, each midweek series for the Chicago White Sox. They are streamed live on Mixler.com slash Sox Machine. But if you don't get a chance to listen to the live stream, again, you can listen to the Sox Machine Live podcast and all podcast episodes via iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and audioboom.com slash Sox Machine. And you'll definitely want to subscribe because starting next week, the White Sox Wake Up Call, your daily 5-10 to minute recaps, will be going on again. So Monday through Friday, you guys are getting new audio content from us and, of course, all of the writing at SoxMachine.com. And if you enjoy our content, make sure you sign up to become a friend of Sox Machine by going to Patreon.com slash Sox Machine to help support us. And again, we still have plenty of pint glasses. I just got mine, and they are awesome. So if you would like a Sox Machine pint glass, go to Patreon.com slash Sox Machine and sign up to help support today. And you yourself can get your very own Sox Machine pint glass. The Sox Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Listen, you hear that? That's the sound of nothing. And nothing is what you'll pay for medium fries when you buy any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich. It's crispy, juicy, tender, all-white meat chicken with crinkle-cut pickles on a buttery potato bun. Mmm. Buy one, and we'll hook you up with a free medium fries. That's like zero zilch zip. So try any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich and get a medium fries for nothing. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.